turn your Bibles, if you will, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Today's a powerful passage uh, for those, especially those who are his and who are believers. It's a powerful passage because it helps you understand not only, uh, not only God's work, but how it works and all those things. Today's title is His Work in Us. His Work in Us. It's a huge thing to understand as a believer. You know, the younger you are in your faith, the more you think that your effort makes a huge difference. And then the older you are in your faith, you realize, oh, no, no, no. It's a whole lot more him through me than it is me trying hard. And so, uh, not saying we're supposed to, not supposed to try hard, but it's just the way it works. So, I just want you to see his work in us. I told you a little bit. We're going we're gonna to fly through a little bit of this in recap of last week. I just can't do much. We talked about Corinth last week and because it's first corinthians and and this church had lots of problems in fact just lots and in fact the, the one of the main problems they were having was was divisiveness among each other and paul reveals today why there's so much division right why there's so much division and and but i want you to see it again i talked to you about kind of the decadence uh of of this particular place in Corinth, it was a port city, and obviously a lot of lot of lot of stuff went on. But also in the in the nation of, of Greece, uh, and which obviously the Romans controlled, but it was Greece. Corinth is part of of Greece. They were big. Their big thing, basically the rock stars of their day, believe it or not, were were the philosophers, right? And uh, the Greek philosophers, I mean, they're, they're known, right? You know, if you, and, and so they would have these big, you know, they'd have the big athletic events, they'd have other things. But they would have these, they would have these debates where the new philosophy of the day would come up. And, and it was all, it was all this academic and such a big deal. And, 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 and so Paul, this is what Paul is confronting when he is sharing the gospel with them and he's trying to get them to see something because these guys were having a hard time distinguishing between their culture and who God had called them to be, which a lot of you have that struggle. All of us struggle with that. There's, there's who God's called us to be, but then there's the, the cultural pressure all around you. That is why the book of 1 Corinthians is, is going to be important, but it's also going to be, it's going to be a tough one to hear. Because the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is, is trying to teach the Corinthians that God has not called you to adapt to your culture. He's called you to be light to your culture. And sometimes, depending on the situation or whatever it is, light can irritate people. Sometimes it draws people, but a lot of times it just it sends them further away. So it all depends, you know? And so I just want you to see how this thing works. And first of all, we're gonna start with this thought. God, anyway, the thought is, remember, God's work in us. Number one is God's wisdom, right? Now, it sounds like a generic title. It sounds like too broad of a title, but it's not. I want you to see it because remember, Paul, and when I, when I share this with you, I'd like for you to understand that is a passion passion of mine, especially when we do this verse by verse, is just to let it speak, especially today. Just let the book of 1 Corinthians speak. And then those of you who are his, it's, gonna, it's going to impact you, not because I'm sharing it, but because, because it is what it is. 
And so you'll see what I mean, but God's wisdom, God's wisdom. So he's talking to a group of people that, that philosophies and, and academics and, and all of these ways of thinking was a real big deal to them, right? And so, and so Paul is trying to tell them, hey guys, Christianity that I came to share with you, it was kind of like something new and shiny at the time, so it drew a lot of people to it. But what Paul is trying to tell them, guys, Christianity is not just another philosophy, right? This is what he's trying to tell them. This is not just another philosophy for you to debate at one of your, when you're a little symposiums, okay? There is something uniquely different, and, and that's the context you need to understand to understand chapter two. Chapter two, verse one says, and I, that is Paul, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. In other words, I didn't come, I didn't, when I came to you, I wasn't, I wasn't this orator, you know, that is doing this comparison between this and that, and, and it's, just, it's just competing philosophies to, to whatever, whatever, whatever. And so what he's saying, what he's saying in verse two is, is for I decided, that is when I came to you, because there's such a big deal in Corinth and Greece for these, you know, philosophers to stand up and, and to drone on and on, you know, about this and that. He says, I decided when I came to you, I decided that to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you ever wonder where the gospel, where I got the who Christ is, what he came to do, all right? Jesus Christ, him crucified. Who he is, what he came to do. It's the foundation of everything. You're going to find out that a little bit later too. For I decided to know nothing among you, right? So I didn't come with this lofty oratory. You know, philosophy is an amazing thing. Um, you know, I've, I've taken the classes and, and some people are really into it, most are not. Um, but when you, when you think on it and when you look at it, philosophy's foundation is to try to make, okay, our lives better, okay? And to, to be happier, if you will. And, and they come in all shapes and, si- shapes and sizes and and they go from extreme to extreme and they all say, and, but listen to me, this is what Paul is saying to them. Guys, being a believer in Christ is not a philosophy, right? It's not. He says, if you notice, when I came to you, I didn't drone on and on about this and that and comparing this to that and the positives and the negatives. I came to you and all I had for you was who Christ is and what he came to do, right? And I decided that was all I was gonna tell you. Why? Well, cause the foundation of philosophy is to make life better around you. And again, I don't wanna to be too rude, but, but a lot of times philosophy is just, it's just a train wreck. And let me tell you why. Because, okay, good. You make your life better, you make your life happier. All right, great. But it's kind of like the thing I always tell you, right? It's kind of like redecorating the Titanic. Right? We scrub it all up, we rearrange it, and boy, isn't that nice. That's better, isn't it? 
Yeah, but... <laughs> so Christ didn't come to make our lives better. He came to give us a new life. You don't need to make life on the Titanic better. You need another boat. <laughs> and this is what Paul is saying. It's not about some philosophy to think better or to live better, right? Or to be happier. It's about a new life, a change. And so that becomes foundational and Paul wants them to get that because see, they're used to all these philosophies and academics and all this stuff in Corinth. But Paul's trying to say, listen, this, is, this isn't another thing, right? There's a, there's a change. In fact, he goes on to say in verse three, he says, when I was with you, okay, I didn't come in there, you know, all confident and, and with, with this great speaking voice. And I mean, you have to remember that the schools at that time, for their time, some of the greatest schools, uh, and higher learning, if you will, were in Greece, especially in Athens. And, uh, and so they, that was a, it was highly prized. And, and so they had whole teachings on, on standing up and giving a speech, you know, in front of everybody and, and all of these communication skills and, and persuasive speech and all these things. You know, I learned all of those things in school, but I kind of, I kind of threw all of them in the trash. And let me tell you why. Because I'm really not trying to convince or persuade you of anything. What I do is I want you to understand. And then the decision's yours. And it has a lot to do with when I learned these verses. Paul said, when I came to you, it was in weakness and fear and trembling. It wasn't anything that Toastmasters say you ought to do when you speak to people, right? He... He said, I, I didn't come to you in all of the regalia of confidence and charisma. He said, I came to you in fear. And he said, my speech and my message were not in convincing, plausible is the word, it's not a great translation, but not in convincing, uh, persuasive words of wisdom. So I didn't flower it up and, and like a salesman. Right? You know, sometimes people, and don't ever say this to me, by the way, sometimes people say, you know, well, you're just a salesman. I said, I am not. I am not. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. You're gonna find out today that I can talk till I'm blue in the face, but unless you can see it, it's foolishness to you. That's what he says. So my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom. It says, but in demonstration of God's spirit and his power. In other words, if God doesn't show up, no matter what he said, it would have just been laughed. He'd been laughed at. Interesting. Guys, I want you to understand that I'd say, I wouldn't say every time, but I'd say 99% of the time. Before I come out to share with you, I, I pray and I say, Lord, this will be a waste of time unless you let people see it. Why? Because, and this is why you'll hear me saying this, I just want, I want to just let it speak. Because you're going to see here in a minute that when God takes his word and lets you understand it and see it, it has incredible power in a person's life. Again, it's not so much, as, as Paul will say just a minute, it's not so much about me. The greatest thing about what I need to do is get out of the way enough to where you can see it clearly. Right? Why? 
So verse five, so that your faith doesn't rest in, in, in man's wisdom, but in God working in your life, right? Good Lord, don't put your faith in me. Understandable? I hear sometimes, you know, when pastors mess up and do something stupid, which they do, right? That a lot of people lose faith in him. Why? Why? If, it's, if that's the truth, then your faith's in the wrong thing. And that's what he's saying. Does that make sense to you? He says that your faith may not rest, basically Paul says, in me, but in his work in your life. I tell you, well, I don't know if you've ever been there, but when God shows up, things change. Oh, I can, and I, I, I know how because I've been trained to do it. I can, I can do pep rally stuff. I can get everybody jumping up and, you know, but I found that doesn't last. It's, it's, it, it makes you feel good for a while. You're going to find out in a minute. Let's get rid of the temporary and focus on the permanent, that which lasts. You'll see it all. It's, it's an amazing. These are powerful passages if you have the ears to hear them, okay? And he goes on to say in verse 6, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. So he begins to distinguish between believers, uh, those who are mature, those who are immature, right? And he says, but among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not the wisdom of, of, of uh, obviously, this, this age, all right? Uh, or the rulers of this age. So what's he talking about? What is the wisdom of this world? Well, it's the philosophy of what I just told you earlier. There's a big difference uh, between those who are trying to make this life better and those who, are, who, are, who have a new creation, new life in Christ, right? And so there's a, there's a difference in the way they live, and that's what he's saying. And the others say this, although it's not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, wait, what? The wisdom of this age is doomed to pass away. That's the, that's the Titanic illustration, right? Great. Rearrange the furniture. Yes. Shine it all up. It looks nice. That's wonderful. But there's a problem. Got it? All right, good. But we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory, that is the difference that's made in our life. So what is he talking about that secret hidden? Well, it's a cool, it's a cool thing when you begin to see it. I talk to you about it often. When I do a series, something like pictures of Christ in the Old Testament, therefore we take a look at Passover and we understand what happened at Passover, but then when you see that there's a picture of Christ in the story of Passover and you begin to see these things, you begin to see that, wow, a lot of this was hidden and secret down through the ages until it was revealed in who Christ is and what he came to do. It's a powerful thing. None of the, real, none of the rulers of this age understood it. Or for if they had, they would not have crucified him. Right? But as this is written, this is such an awesome, one of those stand back and, and wonder for a while. Take a look at this verse. But as it is written, what no eye has ever seen, nor ear has ever heard, no, the heart of a man has ever even imagined is what God has prepared for those who love him. And this is the inspiration for the verse, I mean, for the song, I Can Only Imagine. Right? You have no idea. In fact, you're not even be able to imagine it. What God has prepared for those that are his. I find that amazing to think on. So he's looking at them. That is the new life you have in him, not trying to make the old life better. So it becomes this powerful thing. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit. 
Okay, now that's going to be something that you're looking at, man, you're thinking, okay, maybe some, finally somebody has the courage enough to say, what is all this spirit stuff? What does that mean? Well, it explains it here just a little bit. There is great mystery to it, all right? But there is a little bit here that I want you to see that he explains is what he's talking about, right? It says, goes on to talk about revealed that God's spirit that now lives in us, right? Searches everything, even the depths of God. Now, what is a spirit, right? We're not talking about ghosts. We're not talking about that. But it's the essence of who someone is. You'll see what I mean when he talks about it in the next verse. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, for who knows a person's thoughts? All right, so when I look at you, all right, let's just talk about you for a minute. You like that? So that means that many. All right, so let's just talk you individual. Don't think about everybody else. Think about you. All right, now, all right, the things that you think, the things that you say, the things that you do, the things that you post, <laughs> what are their motivations? Not what you hope other people think are their motivations, but what are they? I will tell you this, no one knows that but you, right? Because it says, for new, who knows what a person thinks, does, right? Posts, says, who really knows except the spirit of the person that's in him or her? So it's that part of you, drive, emotion, but even beyond that, motivation. Not only what you do, but why you do it. Therefore, that's essence of who you are. So when you talk about the spirit of a man or spirit of a woman, when you talk about God's spirit, it's the essence of who he is. When you think about body, soul, and spirit, body, obviously, Jesus is, is God incarnate that is in the flesh. We just talked about that at Christmas time. And then God's Holy Spirit, but they're three, but they're still one, just like you have a spirit but it, and a body, but they're, they're, they're not separated, but they are distinctive when it talks about it here. I don't have time to go any further there. There's a whole message I could do with that, helping you understand that. But I just want you to see he's explaining it in that way to those who are, who are Greeks, who are more thinkers, right? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except through God's spirit. So the great part about this, we'll talk about this next week. We will not get to it today. But we talk about us being a temple of God's spirit. What does that mean? What does that mean? And there's more to it than we can talk about today. Guys, I can't tell you how packed 1 Corinthians is with things that you and I need to know, but they're hard-hitting also. But he's explaining something to them that they needed to hear, right? Is you're not gonna find, you're not gonna find God through the search of philosophy and wisdom, right? Especially the human kind. He does say that, Obviously, there is wisdom, but, but not what this world calls wisdom. Why? Because he goes on to say, we have not received the spirit of the world, right? But the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Okay? That's powerful, okay? That's a mouthful. But listen, God, right? That we might understand. So his spirit is the one that lives in us, that allows us to understand these things, right? And so that's the reason for my prayer. God, I'm wasting my time 
It doesn't matter how good or bad of a communicator I am. The question is, is God letting you see it? And the question is, do you want to see it? The other part is, some of you may say here today, well, well, how do you get to that point? Well, all I know is the scripture says is that those who seek will find. For some reason, those who seek him, God opens their eyes and lets them see it. That's the best I can do as far as what you can do. Right? But those who don't want to know will never know. It's an amazing thing. Right? Freely given to us. Therefore, therefore this, this picture of understanding this text. Let me give you an illustration from Jesus' life. Matthew 16, don't turn to it, just look at the screen. Jesus looked and said, well, that was something, all right? I'm a little dizzy, let me get back where I am, all right? All right, Matthew 16, 13, it says, now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, all right, all right, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Okay, now, and then they respond, well, some say you're John the Baptist, you know, come back to life. Some say you're Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. In other words, there's a lot of opinions out there about Jesus, who they think you are. And notice that all of them are wrong. Everybody's got an opinion. I know this may shock you, <laughs> but I've learned to not listen to a whole lot of opinions. Because everybody's got one and everybody gets their feelings hurt when you don't take that. But I have learned personally uh, that our opinions really just put them to the side and say, basically, Lord, what is it you want us to do? And I've found that in all our ways, acknowledge him, he'll direct our paths. But I have found that being his church is not about finding out about, out about what everybody's opinion is and doing that, right? That's a good way to get us off track. Why? Because most of them are wrong, right? But then Jesus says, well, I don't care what everybody else thinks. What do you think? And then Peter spoke up, Simon Peter spoke up and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. It's about who you are. Now, they, he hadn't yet revealed yet what he was going to do. But at this point, it was who he was. That's why Jesus was here, right? You are the one that's been foretold. You're the one that said who was going to come and change everything. And then Jesus looked back at him. Think on this, think on this. Jesus looked back at him and says, blessed are you. All right, Simon, bar Jonah. The word bar means son of. And Simon was his name. Peter was given to him later. In fact, right now, basically. He gives him the name Peter, which just means a stone or a rock. And so, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But God let you see it. You see what he's saying? Peter, don't pat yourself on the back here and say, oh, you're pretty wonderful. All that hard study is paying off. No. No, you've studied this stuff for decades and never see it. I took a, so funny. I don't want to be ugly here, but I just, but I took this class one time. I've taken philosophy classes and all that. And this is before I went to school, seminary, right? And I remember I took this Bible class one time, and I don't want to be ugly, but this professor was as blind as a bat to anything spiritual. Oh, yeah, she had all of the, the academic knowledge 
but she had none of God's work behind it. You see, it's not something you figure out. It's something he lets you see. I found that remarkable. Right? I found that remarkable. Hey, Peter, that was right. Not only was it right, it's astounding. But remember, it's not about you. It's about him letting you see it. For the reason, that's why I always pray, God, open their eyes and let them see. Let today be a day they walk out saying, Lord, I know you better. Not because I'm doing it. I'm way over that. Long time ago, by the way. But because of the difference it can make in our lives as believers. Understanding the difference in who he's called us to be versus the pressure this world puts on you to be. Right? Amazing. All right, go back to the, the Corinthians verse and let's continue to go. So understanding this whole spirit thing. So it goes on to say, uh, and, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by God's spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, he goes on to say in verse 14, the natural person, now this is someone who's not a believer, right? The natural person does not accept the, the, the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly, they are foolishness to him, which makes sense, which makes sense. Because if you can't see, right, then you probably are not, uh, you're not going to believe it. And that becomes this great picture. The natural person can't accept these things. They're foolishness. But then look at this. And he or she is not able to understand them because it takes a spiritual eye, spiritually discerned. God allows you to be able to see it. And I want you to think on this for a second. I have been, obviously, in, in, in the academic world. And the thing I have learned is that someone who is extremely smart, and I've been around a lot of them, not, but in my in past and times, and, and they actually have a sense, or maybe some of you here today, that if I can't understand it, it must not be true because I'm smart. Does that make sense to you? And that is what I call the height of academic arrogance. And that's where you get, it's really sad. That's where you get, um, you know, our kids go to these classes and these, you know, these smart people stand in front of them and, they're sh and our kids are shaken down to the core because these smart people who know everything, and if they don't know it, it doesn't exist, then they tell them, oh, that's just stupidity, right? Oh, we've all been in those classes, right? And it does shake you at the beginning, but if you're truly his, it won't make you fall. It'll shake you, I'll tell you, it'll shake you. It'll cause doubts, it'll cause fears, it'll cause all kinds of stuff, but it won't cause you to fall apart. It's an incredible thing. Right? So they're not ever going to get it. It's the illustration I like to use with you. It's like someone who's physically blind, has been physically blind all their life. And if, I, and if you wanted to explain to them the color blue, knock yourself out, but you're gonna have a hard time doing it. Well, it's, it's light that reflects, well, a blind person, right? Never seen light. Just darkness, right? So how are you gonna explain it? Best way to explain it, 
is to open their eyes and let them see. This is blue, and they'll never forget it again. Got it? Now, I'm not putting down people that are blind, just so you know. In fact, to be honest, I've known a lot of people who are blind. A lot of times, a lot of people who are physically blind have seen a whole lot more of the, of the world than people who can see. You know, So it has nothing to do. It's just comparing the two. But this is what he's saying. They're not able to understand. They don't have the capability of being able to understand because these things are, have to have a spiritual eye. Interesting. Spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one. Why is that? Because of what, who Christ is and what he came to do and the difference that's made in your life. For who has understand the mind of the Lord, right? So as to instruct him, obviously nobody. But those of you that are his, whether you realize it or not, the scripture says, if you truly are his, you have the mind of Christ. That is the spirit that lives in you and you begin to grow. Now, I went over all of those things Everything I just shared with you is foundational, right? In understanding the difference between the two. Now, the next two things we're gonna to talk to you, the third thing we're not gonna really get to today. The second one is then that's God's wisdom, but now I want you to see God's work. How does God work? He tells us here. Again, I just want this to speak, right? And he goes on to tell them part of their problem and then how, and how it can be remedied, right? But let's see what part of their problem is. Chapter three, verse one, it says this, but I, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual. Now we've just talked about what that means, maturity. I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, all right? What does the word flesh mean? Well, it's the word, it's a Greek word called, it's called sarx, and it really just means flesh, right? but it's symbolic of deterioration, right? That is that which deteriorates. And obviously we all know that, that when you're born and, and then deterioration, you know, happens, but that's obviously what Christ came to do. And so we have all this, the word flesh, uh, in fact, the word here now sometimes is used as carnal, a carne, which just means like carnivorous, right? Flesh eating, right? So, so it's, it's talking about that which, is, that which is sinful, right? I couldn't address you as spiritual, but that which is the flesh. And he goes on to call them. He's not calling them lost. They are believers. Listen to this. But he calls them, but as infants in Christ. So we're not talking here about non-believers. We're talking about believers who won't grow up. And this is where it hits powerful. Because the great question that we have for all of us as believers, are we like that maybe in a little bit, in a little way? So what do you mean to grow up? Well, obviously maturity, maturing, it's, it's something that happens in, in, the, in a physical life, right? An infant, and that's why he compares it to a physical life as an infant. He goes on to say, I fed you with milk, not solid food. Why? Because you're not ready for it. You haven't matured to the point to where you're ready for solid food in this comparison. Milk is awesome, right? If you're a baby. But milk will never take you where you need to go. So there comes a time when you get off of the milk and get onto solid food as you mature. I'm not talking so much physically, now I'm talking about those of us who are truly believers. And he goes on to saying, even now you're not ready. Long time ago it should have happened. You should have been growing, but there becomes a complacency. And not just complacency, but again, I was, 
This is going to be tough to hear for a whole lot of us. But the desire is not to get you to feel bad, but, get, but to spur you to move on. Because so many spend so long of their lives as believers as just babies. Right? They like being fed. They like being burped. They like being put to bed. They like their diapers changed. They don't have to even go to the restroom. They like immaturity because somebody else always takes care of me. And they, they stamp their foot and they scream when anybody suggests it's not all about you. You see, maturity in the, being as a believer, just read the scriptures, is about moving on from being self-centered into being others-oriented. And guys, that doesn't come easy. There's a battle within. We all battle that. But the struggle comes is when we go long periods of time where we still see it's, it's about us. Right? Right? For you're still in the flesh. There's jealousy and strife among you. Right? Are you not just behaving like the rest of the world around you? Right? Now, think about this. Responsibility is an incredible thing. You know, I'm going to talk about this during, the, during my parenting thing. But I, I, responsibility is something that, that it's like a level of maturity. And a healthy child has a desire to always get to the next level, even sometimes before they're ready for it. Right? Like, let me give you an illustration from my past. I think I was four. Uh, we were living in Nashville. And, and, and I was four. And I used to beg, absolutely beg my dad to cut the grass. Right? You know what I'm talking about? I just, it may not be the way it is now, but I just wanted to cut the grass because it was something that older people did. Right? It was a level of responsibility that once you get to that point, boy, you're moving up, right? He's going to let you cut the grass. Now, I, a little bit later, a few years later, many years later, he let me cut the grass and it became my responsibility. And it wasn't near as cool as I thought it was going to be, right? <laughs> But at the time, there's a drive in a healthy child to always want to mature. But listen to me, parents, but also as believers, never give any child a responsibility that you know that they're not ready to handle it, right? It's like, I would love to give you solid food, but you're not what? You're not ready yet. Parents, you know your kids. I don't care how old they are. I wouldn't let them do anything that you know they're not responsible for. Why? Because if you let a four-year-old cut the grass, he's, he's immature and he's going to hurt himself. Does that make sense? So God is at work in our lives, yes. But also, there has to be a drive and a desire to, to mature in him. All right? It's an incredible thing when we begin to understand this. And this was a powerful statement to these Corinthians. Right? Paul calling them immature. Now, here's how you can know. You know, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. It's so interesting. Is that when you take a look at a church, right? You take a look at our church here, right? This is God's church here in Largo, Florida. And, and we're part of it. And, 
there comes a time, right? There comes a time in a person's life when they begin to grow up, and as a believer especially, when it's, it's I need to be, it needs to be about, it needs to be about others. You know, it's like when I hear people say, well, I'm looking for a church to meet my needs. Well, what that says about you is that you're still immature. Does that make sense? Not trying to offend you, but that is what that means. Because if you still need your needs met, then, then you're still an infant or a baby. When you're matured, what should you be asking? Is this a place that I can serve and meet others' needs? Do you see the difference? Hard to hear, but is the truth. As you grow, his desire to use you becomes different. Amazing when you think about it. Jealousy and strife, right? Those are the things that cause divisions, right? Immaturity. I want what I want. Complaining when it doesn't go your way, right? I'm not saying all complaining is bad, but most of it is a sign of immaturity, right? I want it like I want it, right? I mean, it's a powerful chapter, but it's not necessarily one everybody wants to hear. That's why going by verse by verse is so awesome, because you just don't skip it, right? When one of you says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, right? And, uh, and, and basically, are you not just being like the rest of the world, trying to say, well, I'm this and I'm that? And he asked the question, he says, who's, who's, what then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Who are they? Listen, this is a powerful passage. They're just servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Servants. What does that mean? They're just messengers. Right? Servants. It's God who did the work. He goes on to say, well, what's the big deal about Paul? What's the big deal about Paul? They're just mailmen. Right? I heard a story one time about about a, a wife who had a husband over in combat, been a long time ago, and the, and the mailman saw a letter from her husband, so he said, I'm gonna deliver this to the door. And she opened the door and says, I've got something for you, and she, she jumped on him and hugged him. All right, well, he didn't do anything, but he brought something that was pretty important. So he got a hug for it, right? When it literally had nothing to do with him. That's what Paul is saying. They're just servants. Paul goes on to say, I planted, right? Apollos watered. So there, he compares it to, right, planting. And I planted. So Paul's passion was planting. A seed is, is Jesus, you know, referred to the gospel as a seed. A seed is an amazing thing, you know? Everything in the seed. I, 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 one time, if you remember, I brought an acorn in here and said, this is an oak tree. All right, just needs some time. All right, it needs to be planted, watered, that kind of stuff. But everything, everything that's needed to grow an oak tree is found in one little acorn. Everything that you need to be in Christ is found in the gospel, right? It's all there. It just needs to grow. So Paul says his passion is just to plant it into people's lives. Okay, I've, I've decided to know nothing but Jesus Christ, him crucified. I want to share that with people. Apollos watered, right? It's just another picture that he helped, he, he helped encourage the growth of it. I planted, but Paul's water, but it's God who did it, right? He's the one that gave the growth. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. Guys, that's why we don't make heroes and rock stars out of communicators and pastors and teachers. If they've done anything good, if it's changed your life in any way, it's because it's his work, not ours. The word evangelist, right? The word evangelist is real simple. The EV, the way they say it in Greek is euangelion. EU or EV just means good. Angel just means messenger. I know that may bust your bubble, but that's what the word angel means. It means message or messenger. So basically, evangelist is one who brings good news. So your postman's an evangelist, maybe. <laughs> All right, if it's a bill, that's not great news, so. He who plants, he who waters are one. That is, they all work together. And each of his labor wages according to his labor. Look at this. For we are all, if you're his, we are all God's fellow workers. So once you, once you mature past a point, now if you're still, I mean, if you're young in your faith, then, then you have needs. And we need to meet them. But there comes a time when we need to turn it outward. Why? Because we've all got something he's called for us. We are, we are God's fellow workers, right? And everyone has a different gift. And we're going to talk about that comes up in 1 Corinthians 2. And all working together, we can be who God's called us to be. It's an amazing thing, right? And he, and he, changes, he changes gears here. And I'm just going to give you just a couple of little things, and this is where we're going to pick up next week. But he says, you're God's field. And then he changes metaphors, right? And then he says, God's building. So his next illustration is about building, not about planting. All right? And then it goes on to number three, and this is where I'll pick up next week, is our responsibility. So Jeff, if it's all about him opening our eyes, then, then are we just robots? And the answer is no. And he tells us in this next piece that it is God's work, but here's our responsibility to it and in it. And he goes on to talk about, according to God's grace, that is a free gift, uh, he said, my job is to lay a foundation. And then someone else builds on it. So he's using this other metaphor. Therefore, let each one of us be careful how we build. So if you're a believer today, your life as a believer has a foundation. And then what you build on that is your responsibility, is what it says here. Again, I'm gonna go over this in, in a lot more detail next week because we're gonna couple this with being temples of the Holy Spirit and you'll see how it all works next week. But I wanted to throw a couple of things at you here so you can think about, right? Therefore, take care of how you build. For no one can lay any other foundation which that which is already laid, which is Christ. So we already know what the foundation on which we build, which is Christ, all right? But if anyone builds on this foundation using materials, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. So you choose, you choose. If you're a believer here today, you choose what you build with. Now, I found that immaturity usually chooses the temporary, the, the quick thrill, right? But as you grow, you start wanting to invest in things that are longer lasting. 
I mean, we live in a generation of quick fixes, right? This is not who he's called you to be. You may have that now, but it's just immature to keep growing. You'll eventually, you'll eventually get there. It's an amazing thing how it works. Gold, silver, precious stones. He gives us six materials, but there, in reality, there's not six. There's, it's just two types. Gold, silver, precious stones, permanent. Wood, hay, straw is temporary. Guys, it's real easy to do that which is quick, to have a quick sense of happiness. Emotions can do that to you. People who are a little more, sometimes a little more immature, and again, I have to be careful by saying those things, but, but when, when your emotions get stirred, it feels real. But it doesn't take long to realize that those won't last. So in your early life as a believer, you, yeah, you know, hey, you know, and you head up the, you know, conquer the world kind of thing. And then when the emotions go away, it's crash. So a lot of times in the early days, we can be up and down, you know, you know, Jesus pep rally and, you know, he doesn't care and all over. But hopefully as we grow, that, why? Because we're looking at more permanent, right? Each one's work, that is what he builds on his foundation, will be manifest, that means revealed, for the day, that is judgment day. Every believer will face a judgment day. Not for your sin, that's already been taken care of, but the responsibility he gave to you and what you built on this foundation, right? Because it'll be revealed by fire. So in this illustration, obviously gold, silver, and precious stone, fire doesn't touch it. With the wood, hay, and straw, it, right? It will test what, what sort of work. So usually, and again, this is gonna be the foundation of next week. What is the difference between permanent, choosing that which is permanent versus choosing that which is temporary? What does that look like? How does that flesh out in my life? We'll talk about it next week. And it goes on to say, if anybody's work survives, he'll receive a reward. If anybody doesn't, he'll suffer loss. But he himself is saved, or she, okay? So again, it's about the foundation is that, but, but the work on top of it is important. And so what he is telling them, this is real close, what he is telling them, guys, you are investing all of your time in the temporary fixes, and that's just all gonna burn. You know, it's funny because the temporary fixes, I'll give you just one little illustration, like business. You can make a business look real good in the short term. And if that's all that you wanna do is make it look good in the short term, you can make it look good in the short term. But there is a crash coming, brother, because the temporary is not sustainable, okay? That's an oxymoron, I know, but it is the truth. We'll talk more about that next week. So powerful, powerful passages here. And it's gonna be that way throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. Because he's confronting them of saying, and it's not mean, it's not ugly, but he's confronting them to the point, to the point of, guys, you're missing out on who God's called you to be and how he could be using you, right? 